All right. And the OR, of course, is the Ottawa report in our world. I'd like to welcome onto the program Amanda Connolly, Global News political reporter, joins the show at this time every Friday to talk about what's going on in the nation's capital. Amanda, welcome back. Great to have you along again. Great to be here. You know, we're having a beautiful day up here in Ottawa. We avoided a big storm yesterday, so everyone's in a great mood heading into the weekend, I think. <laughs> well, and I wonder how much the uh, great mood has to do with the fact that there's going to be some relief coming our way when it comes to rising inflation. Yesterday, Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christia Freeland delivered the details of an $8.9 billion spend. Give us the specifics on how the Liberals are planning to alleviate the squeeze. Yeah, this is really interesting because it's $8.9 billion, as you mentioned there, but it's not new spending. This is all money that was actually accounted for in previous budgets for various other kind of increases to programs and things like that. And so the way it's going to work is it's a a variety of kind of top ups to some of the benefits that are already in place in in Canada right now. The Canada Workers Benefit, Old Age Security, uh, which, of course, is for seniors older uh, than 75 along with the Canada Child Benefit and a GST credit. So there's quite a bit of things in there that will kind of particularly get more money going to people who uh, are in positions to likely need it most. And again, um, this is uh, this is not new spending. And I, I mentioned that because when we're talking about this new affordability spending here, a lot of the concerns are around inflation and whether more spending, new spending in particular, could worsen that problem by fueling, of course, more demand, kind of heating up the economy even more. So that was really the focus of Freeland's speech here. In Toronto yesterday, uh, kind of a broad, high-level look at the current economic state for Canada. And there were there were a lot of questions and, and kind of concerns coming out of that. You wrote a piece for globalnews.ca on new legislation to implement uh, the ban on Huawei and give sweeping new powers to the feds to direct the private sector on cybersecurity. I mean, cybersecurity is a big deal. We know that wars are being fought v- online via, you know, uh, cyber attacks. So can you break this story down for us and make it, uh, you know, easy to comprehend? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a really big piece of legislation. As you mentioned there, part of of the legislation is going to implement that promised ban on Huawei and ZTE technology. These are some of the, the, the firms that have raised concerns about the potential for Chinese espionage in Canada. Of course, Huawei denies that. Um, the, the reason that this is interesting, though, is because there's a second part to that legislation as well. And the, the second part here really is um, part of what's raising a lot of questions. It has a number of provisions in there that will really give the federal government, the cabinet in particular, the power to effectively direct cybersecurity measures in private sector companies. So this is in companies in the energy, financial, uh, telecommunications and finance sectors, things like, um, you know, uh, banking, um, your cell phone provider, things like that, that most people, of course, will have a lot of regular dealings with. And those, of course, are considered critical infrastructure. These are the things that Canadians rely on, that our economy relies on. And there's a lot of concerns about whether they are doing enough to protect their networks from cyber attacks, as you mentioned, which are growing. The bill, though, in, in addition to doing this, there's also provisions in here that prohibit any company, any one of these firms that is ordered to improve their systems from telling anyone that they've been ordered to do that or anything about the fact that an order might exist. And so that's really raising some concerns among security experts here because, of course, you think about the cost of these things, right, Kelly? If you have companies, uh, of course, you might have investors and they're having multi-million dollar potential hits to replace equipment or comply with this, 
what is the transparency there for the stakeholders and the people who are invested in that company? All I can think is maybe this is a, you know, a situation where they uh, don't want you to say nothing to see here so that people that would do us harm via malware are not going to go searching around for weak spots. Because I don't think this legislation um, has anything to do with uh, municipalities. I think that's one of the things that's lacking in it. Absolutely. And and I spoke with experts who said pretty much the same thing here, that there are some gaping holes in the legislation because it only targets federally regulated sectors. Of course, municipalities we've seen hit time and time again by cyber attacks, ransomware in particular, but also hospitals, um, healthcare networks in, in different provinces. And so those are all things, examples of critical infrastructure that are under the provincial or local jurisdiction that the federal government doesn't really have direct authority over. Now, the feds are saying their their hope here is that by putting this bill in place, by putting these rules in place, provinces and municipalities will actually take the initiative to do tougher rules themselves for the companies that are actually within their jurisdiction. That's the big if, though, right now. And again, I spoke to one expert who was saying that hope is not a strategy. And right now, we really need a strategy to make sure that there's going to be this broader implementation of cybersecurity to prevent cyber attacks and ransomware, which can be incredibly expensive writ large across the, the critical infrastructure in Canada. Yeah, and crippling. You know, I'm beginning to think, you know, you know that famous line, you can't handle the truth from a few good men. I'm beginning to think <laughs> I can't handle the truth. The, the, the story, uh, there's another charge laid against a military, uh, an individual in the military. And it's just like the, the hits keep coming. It's, I mean, it's great that we're starting to find out about this because you've got to, uh, make sure you clean house, but it is really uh, dismal. Can you talk about the latest? Yeah, so this this was a, a really big revelation that we got earlier this week, and it's specifically about um, a man, a retired uh, Lieutenant General Trevor Kedia. Now, Kedia had been tapped to come in as the new commander of the Canadian Army last year. There, that was the expectation that he would take on this new role. Um, he did not take on that role, though, and, and his actually coming in there was postponed because military police launched an investigation into allegations of sexual misconduct against him late last year in about October. We learned this week that military police have now laid two charges against him of sexual assault um, dating back, they allege, to incidents at the Royal Military College Kingston in 1994. And so these charges are now going to be passed over to the civilian justice system. But there are a lot of questions here, again, about the the ongoing kind of issue here of sexual misconduct in the forces. You and I have talked about this so often here. It's almost a weekly thing that there's there's new developments continuing on this. And and the reason that the the mention here of the Royal Military College uh, Kingston as the alleged site of, the, of these um, incidents is interesting is that we've seen these colleges really in the crosshairs since former Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbor put her report out last month. She was saying that the colleges are potentially a barrier to actually changing the culture in, in the military. And just for, for listeners, the Royal Military Colleges in Canada are, are effectively how the military trains their senior officers, their universities. They're kind of the, um, the, the channel through which all future leaders in the higher ranks of the forces come through. And so the concern is that the culture there is, is perpetuating some of these issues from a very early age and that without fundamentally changing the structure of those schools, perhaps even getting rid of them altogether has been certainly talked about. Um, how, how do you move forward with real long-term change in the forces? We don't have clear answers for that right now. 
Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this at a later date. It seems to be something that we continuously touch on, unfortunately, but it's an important story. Amanda, always a pleasure having you on. Enjoy your weekend. You as well. Thank you. Cheers. Amanda Connolly from uh, Global News. She's our political reporter based in Ottawa, and she handles the Ottawa Report every Friday at this time on The Kelly Cotreras Show.